What is going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Running and Gunning Podcast. We are stoked to have you joining us today. We've got a great guest, Scott Buckley from Iowa. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Scott. Uh, he's big on YouTube, on the Exodus, uh, you know, on their channel. Got a lot of awesome content. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet this uh, this gentleman this summer at the uh, at the Iowa get together for uh, with the Mobile Hunter Roadshow, and um, I was trying to uh, you know talk to him. Uh, I've always always respected Scott a lot, and uh, we're fortunate enough to finally get on here and do a podcast together. So, without further ado, Scott, how you doing, brother? Good. What's happening? Oh. Living the dream, man. Just trying not to freeze out there. How are you doing yeah. in Iowa? Yeah, good. It's been cold here. Really cold. I think last week it was, we had a couple of days I got up. It was like 20 below the actual temperature and two below wind chills, two feet of yeah. snow. <laughs> yeah, man. It's been that nuts. Out here, but. That's nuts. And and you're in, uh, are you in Southern Iowa? Well, where I do most of my hunting is in southern, south-central Iowa, but I live I live um, kind of central, like Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area is where my home is, and then I commute, you know, to go down. It might, where I hunt's like a couple hours from my, where my farm, where I hunt on my public land is a couple hours you. from my house, so. So um, I know one of our mutual friends, uh, Rendell, he was telling me it was like negative 40 and I know he's yeah. kind of, he's up on the North side of, uh, Iowa, isn't he? If I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. More West, I think Northwest somewhere out that way. Yeah. Yeah. He's, never I was, been to his house. he's been to my place, but he's been to my place before, but I've never been up to his place, but yeah, man, I would love to, I'd love to be able to do this one with you in person and sit there, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're doing this uh, online, and uh, man, I, I appreciate your time, brother. Honestly, thank you for yeah, no this. problem. I enjoy yeah. it. I've been looking forward to this one a lot, and uh, I've really just wanted to pick your brain about, you know, kind of like what's going on in the hunting industry now, and like where your thoughts are on like woodsmanship, and where you kind of think things are are starting to go. I know a lot of people really push woodsmanship, and. I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on that and like, you know, maybe how some of our listeners can get a little bit better at that, uh, you know, and where, where they can start, you know, honing their woodsmanship skills. And I know, I know that's a broad question, but, uh, just to kind of kick kick off the conversation. Yeah, I guess where I'm at, I, I mean, I've been, since I was a little kid tromping around, you know, eight, 10 years old, following my dad and grandpa around. I grew up in Michigan and I was always, you know, my grandpa was a big deer hunter, always following him out the woods. I could, we couldn't hunt there till I was 12 years old. Um, in Michigan at the time we could small game hunt. And I mean, I was, you know, I used to follow them and they go pheasant hunting. And when I hit 12, I tell you what, I had a gun in my hand. I think my grandpa got me my first, um, and I started pheasant hunting and rabbit hunting and went with them all the time. And then just around the house, we grew up out in the country. And my dad had a 20-acre piece. But then, you know, we could go just squirrel hunt anywhere. It wasn't ain't like today, you know. You just, everybody gave you permission. And, and I squirrel hunting and just spend, I wasn't a huge sports kid growing up. So me and my brother, I mean, we just spent more time in the woods. I mean, 
that's all we did. I was, as a kid, I was shooting bows out in the yards and woods, and my whole life revolved around being out in the woods. So to me, woodsmanship came naturally because I, I enjoyed it so much, and, and it's just carried on through the years. I mean, still to this day, I'm in my mid-50s, and every weekend, um, actually every weekend of the year, we're, you know, stomping the public lands and just scouting. And um, that's what I, you know, is lost amongst a lot of these young kids these days or even some new hunters. They, you know, especially with the cameras, they just put a camera out and, and you know, they, they think they, I mean, cameras will tell you a lot, but, you know, I don't teach a woodsman. You're going to get out right. there in the woods and learn things. Um, I just enjoy it. So it comes natural to me. I just love, I can, and it can be like Iowa last year. It can be 90 degrees, but we still go out there every weekend and just scout. And well, we walk for miles up and down hills. To me, at my age, it's good. I enjoy it, but it's also good exercise. I know I got to keep moving, you know, to keep enjoying what I like to do. So it's motivation for me too, exercise. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I think it woodsmanship is lost a lot these days. It's it, the younger generation wants instant gratification. And yeah. I don't, I don't, they need I had good mentors growing up, so it came naturally, like I said, to me. Um, it, it was interesting to me. I, I had a, a podcast that I was asked to be on recently, and I had somebody ask me that. And, they, you know, the guy was like, well, you know, what were your mentors like at a young age? And I was like, well, I had my dad, and I was really fortunate my dad never, like, baited for deer. And I never even knew that you could do that until I was in my 20s. Yeah. And like one of my friends was like, Oh, would you, you know, are you baiting for deer? And I'm like, what do you mean? And, um, he's like, <laughs> you, you use corn. And I'm like, no, I was like, why, why would you want to do? He's like, really, you don't use corn. And I'm like, no, I've never used corn. And, and he said, uh, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier and this and that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And yeah. we went out. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, it, it really does depend on like who got you into hunting and how they did it, you know? And I think some people don't really account for that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, a lot of stuff I was self-taught like bow hunting, um, just because I enjoyed it so much being out there. My grandpa was a big gun hunter. In fact, he, you know, he used to go out west all the time. He went into Canada on a few different hunts. He even went to Iran back in the 70s. And, and back when it was more peaceful, you couldn't do that these days. And he saw like seven different sheep in the in Ibex and I don't know, the Syrian mountains or some big mountain. So I, I picked up a lot of his instincts from hunting. And my dad was more of a small game hunter. He'd go out and deer hunt, but it was never, you know, real serious but a lot of my bowling and stuff was self-taught i just enjoyed it but i had that background from my parents and my dad and my grandpa growing up in it you know but um yeah i don't know how 
you know, woodsmanship for to, to tell young kids these days, just get out as much as you can in the woods and enjoy yourself. And, um, yeah. especially if you know somebody that has some experience, you know, try to, yeah, it, you know, if they offer to take you out or whatever, get right. out with them and, and enjoy it. You know, it's, it's fun. You know, to me, anymore, the hunt's just a small percentage of it. I just enjoy the whole thing leading up to it. You know, the scouting and the, um, you know, just pick. And even now, now I own a farm. Before, all I did was paint the clan all my life. I mean, I had some private land pieces, you know, here and there, but. Now I own a farm I bought in 2016. Now I've took on that part of it too, you know, grow like management on my farm. Um, you know, just everything's a lot involved with management, timber, you know, managing the timber, um, food plants. Well, we got a lot of CRP on our land, so just taking care of that. We put on in a whole new mix last year of CRP. We got 50 acres of CRP, like native grasses and stuff. That's been an interesting part. Project. So we spend all our time in the right. It's a it's yeah. a, a year round obsession, man. And yeah, I feel like it's such a great way to live and like raise your kids too. You know, yeah. Like I know my kids as as young as I could take them out. I feel like I've got pictures of me and my daughter when she was like three, shed hunting and stuff. And it's like, yeah, oh, man, you can't. You know, you That's can't a good really way to put them in stuff like that. Yeah, shed and, you know, and... get them get them tough, man. Get them out off of the yeah. The technology and get them out in the cold. I feel like it, it just, there's just not many, you know, hard young kids anymore, you know, yeah. very yeah, rarely. Kids, yeah. My kids I've had out since, um, my daughter, I think probably got her first year when she was maybe eight or 10. Same as my boy. My boy got his first one. I know in Ohio, um, Cause we used to go to Ohio a lot and hunt. Okay. Well, how old, how old, right. Yeah. How old were they when they uh, first started? Just curious. I would say I was taking them to Ohio probably when they were, I don't know, eight, 10 years old, I think. But they mm-hmm. used to drop around me, you know, when they were younger than that. They like follow me turkey hunting. That's one of the things my daughter she don't like turkey hunting much these days. Oh really? I take her to Ohio, and she'd be like, I hear a turkey. You know, I was saying her in Ohio, and it's quite like Kentucky, a rough country. And I hear a turkey like a ridge over, and I said, Tabby, where are you out? And she got she drugged behind me up and down the hills, and I have a family in the morning. And <laughs> yeah, she always That's... jokes with me. Man, I'm not going turkey out with you no more, Dad. But <laughs> uh huh, she loves yeah, maybe, um, deer hunting. Maybe now in Iowa, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is she's, it like bit. She's, she's been out turkey hunting a few years ago. She got a couple in Iowa, so yeah, um, yeah. I, that's season. one thing I I really enjoy now. Like going from a state where Maryland, there were birds, but you had to travel. That's where yeah. yeah. So yes, sir. Yeah. So I grew up. In like central Maryland, pretty much, uh, oh, like okay. above Baltimore. Yeah, I didn't know that. And yeah, yeah, I moved to Kentucky um, about four years ago. Well, and okay. That was that was my next thing. I was going to jump in. It was, uh, you know, for you, you grew up in Michigan. Yeah. You know what? What was the big allure? I mean, obviously the big deer, but I mean, you were kind of on the forefront of a lot of people. I feel like before, like you know, a lot of people really started moving for whitetails. Yeah, I moved here in 2009. 
Um, but I hunted as a non-resident out here two or three times prior to that, probably. Um, and I enjoyed it so much. You know, when everybody comes to Iowa, they say, I want to move there, especially when you got to wait five years to a point now, you know. Right. So, but yeah, when I started coming in the early 2000s to Iowa, I mean, we could get a tag every other year then for both. Yeah. Six years, but um, I got to love it so much. I kept saying I would like to um, move here when when I retire. It was kind of my plan. When I retire, I'd like to move here. Well, our economy went to crap in 2008, nine, and you know I was in building. Grew up an hour north of Detroit, so we were in dire shape up there. A lot of builders I was working for were leaving the state. Uh, you know, I was, I had a, had a house, I had a family, and I thought, well, you know, things are getting bad here. Here's my chance. I, I knew, um, Iowa had a huge flood in 2008 where it, like, destroyed or damaged, like, 5,000 homes and a bunch of businesses. The Cedar River, and Iowa River flooded through Cedar Rapids, Iowa City. And I thought, man, I can go out there and find some work. You know, so I came out. That winter of 2008, and started talking to builders. I gave my resumes, and you know, I was I was set up. I had a website made for my company, and started talking to them. I got a call that Memorial Weekend of 2009 from a lady builder. She said, "I have about 20 homes I'm doing. If you want to come out, come to work for me." And I said, "You got it." I said, "I'll be there within a week." I got my, I got my work trailer. And um, I left the kids with my girlfriend at the time, and um, I came out and went to work. And then I was commuting like every other weekend. I'd come back for, you know, a long weekend, four days. And then, you know, eventually my kids came out. I think my daughter came out first that year when she graduated, and then my son after. But that's kind of how, it was 2009, that was kind of, you know, that was my chance when the economy went on. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was so, probably like the highlight year to be buying land too. I would think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was probably planning that until. Right. I mean, I bought my. I rented for the first few years I was here, and then I didn't buy a house because I had I kept mine in Michigan for two three years because the economy was so bad. Then I put it on the market and sold it, and then I think I bought my where I live now. And I have twenty three acres. I bought that in. 2015, I think. And then I bought my farm in 2016. Nice. nice. Yeah. But I still got the farm when things, before things jumped. Now they've doubled in price just since 2015. Oh, I know. So, yeah. And, um, I, we, did, I mean, really, like COVID was another major spike, I feel like, for like land buying. We, we moved here just in time. It was like right at the beginning of COVID. Oh yeah. And the housing market was kind of down. Like we got such a, a great deal on our place uh, at the time. Oh. And I'm thankful for it because it's, it'd be a lot more, it would be out of reach right now. Yeah. Do but, you live in, have a place in the country or property or? Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have about like 25 acres. Oh, um, yeah. yeah awesome. We're, we're in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah, man. Oh, that's we love sweet. it. We love it, yeah. I mean, raising your kids out there. I know some families can't do it, but 
I could never live in a city or subdivision myself. No, no, I mean, me neither. It's, it's so good we, for me. We went from like a, you know, kind of a busy neighborhood with some, you know, smaller houses, like rancher style houses. And then yeah, we uh, sold that for more than we got our dream cabin in the woods. So oh, kinda, sweet. Kind of cool, man. It, it's funny though. Everybody comes here to like, are you guys rich? Like, no, like <laughs> we, like we do okay. But you know, yeah, we just, we lived in another state and had some money. So yeah. But, yeah, man. Now it, it's always cool. Like getting to pick people's brains about how they moved. Cause we moved here. I didn't know anyone here literally. And, um, I'm sure like, you know, when you move to Iowa, it's just, it's kind of yeah, different. I didn't know anybody. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I've got to know a, a big, huge chain of people out here. Just being in the hunting community, that's oh, one of yeah. the cool things about the hunting community. You just get to know so many good people out there. You know, I know so many people that, you know, just, it's incredible, the hunting chain, you know, you get to know people. and it, uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people think it's a bigger community than it really is. It's pretty small, especially for public land hunters, too. You know, yeah. And there's only so many people that are willing to put in that work, you know, year oh, after yeah. year. And I feel like most of you guys out there run into each other from time to time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> a lot of them guys, like Randall, I got to know him. And Cody <laughs> Huey, he's a plan of playing guy. There's a bunch of them I've, you know, met at the farm. Um, you know, there's a lot of them. Pretty cool. I'm sure. I'm sure, man. I, I wanted to get your... Uh, what one of your favorites, uh, you know, bucks or maybe a story about a your favorite deer since you've been in Iowa? Probably my, f- probably besides my kids' hunts, those are some of my favorite all the time. But for my own hunt, um, I got a lot of good ones, but probably the one that has a real good story probably one of my favorite ones it was it was there was one year what year 2018 um i had the biggest buck on camera on public land that i've ever had in my life conservatively some of my friends scored them at 230 um might know he came out and looked at the pictures and he asked him, he said he could be going 240. But anyway, so this buck was being seen around this one neighborhood on some public land. And we did see it one day. I think it was Labor Day weekend. We seen it out in the hayfield and I said, oh my gosh, it thinks giant. So I yeah. started putting cameras on a piece of public like a mile to the west. And that was in. You know, I think the end of August I put the cameras. I didn't go back in there until the first week of October to check these. Because I thought it was a real random shot if I'd have this buck. I've never hunted this piece. And I pulled the cameras, I think it was like first or second day of October. I just went back down to Hillian Hunt and checked my camera. And he was all over that camera. And I just, I got some beautiful pictures, though. <laughs> it is yeah. big dollar pictures. He just had so many points and just huge. And, um, so I thought, you know, immediately I started hunting on him. And I didn't know the area. So I was doing hanging hunts. 
um, little did I know after the fact he moved. I mean, that's that's going forward in the story. He moved, and I I didn't have no more pictures of him after like he shut his velvet. That was a summer area, and then I had him on camera in a piece of public, like probably at least two to two and a half miles to the northeast in middle of November. I was getting pictures, and then I had some of the neighboring people to the public up there were were um, seeing them up in there. But I was hunting the other piece. So, yeah, go back to my favorite hunt. So, yeah, I started hunting there in October. I did some hanging hunts. And I was getting a couple of decent books on camera. Um, so I just kind of come and go. I was hunting a little bit. And I think it was the first November 3rd, I went back in there thinking I'm still hunting the big one. You know, I didn't know he'd moved that. And I hadn't had my camera, but I don't have cell cams back then, so nothing was, you know, current. But so I did a hanging hunt, this one big hollow kind of. It ran um, north and south, like in the middle of the timber. It was a bottom, but it was pretty, pretty long. So the wind kind of was pretty consistent if you had a north or south wind. So I, I set up on the south side with the north wind. I think it was November 3rd or 4th. Um, it was rainy and cold that day. Like probably, you know, flirting mid-30s. I was wet, but I was sitting all day because I wanted this buck. It was about I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, I seen this great big buck come down through the bottom on the other side of the creek, probably 75 yards away, 80 yards. I tried calling, but he wouldn't respond. Um, it wasn't the new but it was a big one. Yeah. And, um, got, I ended up sitting there all day hoping he'd come back, but he didn't. I, seen, I think I did see him later on at the other end. You know, they were chasing some does kind of at the north end of this big hollow down there. So I thought tomorrow, the wind was switching to the uh, south. I'm going to do a hanging hunt on that other one. I've seen all these bucks coming up and down the hill. They're going into the private land up there. So the next morning, I did a hanging hunt. And on the, it'd be the north end of this. And it was probably... 9, 9.30 in the morning. I think it was kind of quiet morning, if I remember correctly. I might have seen one buck that morning, but I think it was probably 9.30, maybe. I looked up kind of towards the private land up on the ridge, and I seen some trees moving around up there. The leaves are moving. I thought, well, this ain't weird. It ain't that windy, you know. So I'm glancing up there. Then I could see horns. I think it was a buck rubbing on a tree. I could see antlers up in there moving around, and... I was kind of watching it for a little bit, and I thought, well, I'll do a rattle sequence, see what happens. So I rattled, and it wasn't two, three minutes. Here comes a, oh, I think it was a 130-ish, maybe eight point, just a young three-year-old come burning down this ridge, and he was circling in. I thought it was set up next to a creek, so deer couldn't get behind me. Most traffic was in front of me. He got behind me in the real thick stuff. He was kind of circling me, and I look, and here comes two more bucks down the hill. There were three oh, bucks man. up in there. Yeah, and, and this one nine-point was probably, he was pushing, you know, 150. And I look behind him, and here's this buck I'd seen the day before. I mean, I ended up 
want to kill him. He had stone brows. He had a whole, you know, I mean, 13, 15, 16 scoreable points. You know, just like a whole rack of signs on both sides. And um, he's coming down. The two of them are coming down the hill, man. I'm really because this one's getting behind me and with me, you know. And the Mother Ducks probably got 30 to 45 yards and some and some briars. And that buck behind me got behind me, started starting. And um, I said, oh, shit, this is over, you know. Right. And uh, right. he, he spun out of there, but the other bucks really didn't know what happened. They just heard them snort and run, and so they're, they're nervous. The 90 points kind of, you know, stopping him up the hill, and I thought I got one chance here to shoot at this big one. He turned broadside like at 43 yards, and I shot, and nothing. I mean, there was no indication of a hit. He just rolled back up the hill, and I'm like, shit, did I miss him? And I didn't know for sure, but there was no indication. And they both ran back up the hill. So I was just kind of sitting there like, I don't know what just happened, you know. Um, I thought I might have missed. But so anyways, I just kind of calmed down. I think it was five minutes later, eight minutes later. I want to try to rattle it again and see if they'll come back down because they never smelled me. And um, I rattled, and it might have been 10 minutes later. I rattled, and all of a sudden from that, dumb bucks went up the ridge, but that big one that I missed, he come burning down that hollow. He must have did a big circle up in there, and he come running right at me, like full tilt coming into the rattling. The second time, I just missed him 10 minutes before, and I mean, it was perfect. He come right in. He turned broadside at, I think, 18 yards, and, and I, I smoked him that time. I watched him run. and um, I love that. Yeah, yeah man. I watched him go down. It was pretty exciting. I called Cody, and, the man, I just shot, shot a big one. He was, like, mid-170s, I think. That's awesome, Everybody. dude. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you uh, ever have any other encounters with the big one, or did he, like, just disappear, yeah. or nobody heard about him? Yeah, he, so, I went back in. And I think I know which buck you're talking about too. I feel like I've seen like a picture of that deer. Yeah, it was old, giant bases. Right? Yeah, bases, yeah. and it kind of like there was a bunch of like growth running around his bases, and yeah, um, look like an elk antler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I shot that buck November fifth. So then I was tagged out with a bow. So then I just started running cameras and checking cameras. I think I went. That piece to the north, I went back in there the middle of November just to check cameras, and that's when I find them up on that piece. Um, but yeah, nobody ever heard nothing of them ever again after that. Um, you know, you think of something that caliber would have been killed legally. You would you hear know, about it. Yeah. Somebody would have heard about it. I talked to DNR, they never heard nothing. Um, uh, Is there a lot of Amish? Around there? Yeah, there is some. I know around, around where I live, there's a bunch of Amish, and every once in a while, like, some of the deer that they kill that nobody's ever heard of is unbelievable. I mean, uh, I, I know from a friend of mine that I've got one of my, my first buddies I met here, he was 
he's a bow hunter, uh, diehard bow hunter, just like us. And he's in his, he's probably in his late fifties and, um, he's been doing it a long time. And he's like, man, I'm telling you right now, he's like, you some of these, some of the biggest deer ever get killed are by them Amish and nobody says a dang word about it. And, uh, yeah, they right. probably keep it quiet. Yeah, I ran yeah. into some Amish a few years ago down at a piece of public south of me, and me and my buddy had shed on this piece. The DNR had food back in there. We shed on this piece in the snow, and I think we only found one antler. So we went back as the snow was breaking out, and I said, well, since we already checked this around the food plots, I said, Cody, let's go west and shed on that. I know a lot of them go in there and bed to the west across the road. So we did a big lap through there. We ended up finding, I don't know, eight, nine sheds. We came back. We heard people hollering back in there on the east side. And we said on it a few weeks later, we come out, and there's like six, seven Amish boys. And they had, and they think they had like 14 sheds. They had a like a bat set that was like 150s, real heavy horn block. And I said, man, we should have went on that side first because they came there after <laughs> we was there, you know. When we parked, there was nobody there. Because yeah. we had been there, and there was probably too much snow. We just didn't find them. But, man, they had so many sheds. And, and then they want that one Amish boy. We've kind of got, I don't really know him, but I ran into him, like, at the Deer Classic, I think, like, two or three years after that. And ran into him in a store somewhere. It's funny. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but yeah, there's some serious Amish hunters. <laughs> it is, man. It's why I feel like they're either trophy hunters or they just shoot everything. Yeah, um, exactly. It, it's yeah. and it's it's kind of interesting too. Like working at some of the shows, you know, with like the Lone Wolf booth. Like, man, they're not afraid to drop some money on a nice stand either. Oh, yeah. You know, well, some of them. I miss that money. They do. Some of them yeah. do. Some of them are like they don't blink an eye at it, and others are like they'll hang out for a whole three or four hours like contemplating on buying one or not yeah it's always interesting to me it's like you know because i feel like they get a they get a bad rep but some of them are really good bow hunters too you know oh yeah it's just uh hopefully they are abiding by the laws that's all i care about. yeah you know? exactly so, so yeah that block, i don't know whatever happened to him he you know i hate to say was poach i don't know how anyone could poach an animal and just keep it to themselves you know i mean but poachers have a whole different mind, you know. I don't know, but in my eyes, you know, we have deer drives in Iowa. I don't know. Maybe somebody took a shot at him in public yeah. through the woods, and he died in a ditch somewhere, you know. Some people thought maybe he would ski the following year because we had it real bad in 18, real bad. But I don't think so because he was so visible the summer before, like in – july august well ehd was you know hit till the end of august well he never showed up in that summertime the following year you know before before ehd started happening but right yeah man yeah I, is it was it bad for you all this year i've heard uh yeah heard from they, a lot of people i mean missouri iowa even parts of illinois yeah it was really bad it really this is one of the toughest seasons i've ever had in iowa and i contribute the drought DHD killed a lot of deer. Even on my farm, there's deer that, like I had two, three, four-year-old bucks I was watching, and they just disappeared in that first week or two of October. Well, usually they're there every year, and they've never returned. Um, um, we only found one dead doe in a pond, but we haven't walked the 
you know, since we started hunting it, you know, we kind of yeah. stay out of some of the areas. But we found a lot of dead ones on public this year. Um, quite a few does. I haven't found a buck yet. Dan, when Dan Infault was out, he stayed at my place in October and November. He he was hunting. He found two or three bucks, a couple does. Um, and then one of the spots I was hunting, we talked to a hunter there, my boy did, and they, they found a 170-inch um, buck dead by the creek. And I was hunting that spot the first week of October, and I must have walked right by it before it started smelling because they told me where they found it. And I was taking that path right through there. And, oh, man. Um, but yeah, it, that's it, it in my year. Um, between the drought. Like in the big forest areas I was hunting, that it was so dry. All the veget in these big forested areas, all the vegetation was so dry. You know, I'm thinking, where are all the deer? Where are the deer? There's just nothing, nothing on my cameras. I go out in October, no roads. And my only thought was the vegetation was so dry, they just moved out of these big forest areas there because, you know, most of their moisture, the water intake comes from plants. Mm-hmm. And the plants are just all dry. And then I watched, um, uh, I listened to a podcast by Hunting Public, and Aaron Wilbritton was saying the exact same thing. I mean, right to the T, what I thought. He was observing the same things in the big forest areas, and that's what he said. The vegetation was so dry, you know, they just moved out of them areas. Yeah. Um, so we kind of moved our... Like when Infall came out, we kind of went to a different areas, more of a different public land areas. It was more broken up with different train features, more farmland, um, you know, more water, big lakes and, and creeks where it was a little bit. So the deer was still there, but, you know, they were getting hit by EHD. But um, yeah. we just kind of adapted to it. But yeah, a lot of my spots were just bad. I know Randall said the same thing. He struggled this year. A lot of his spots yeah. were hammered by EHD. And I think, I mean, overall, man, it seems like it was kind of a rough year. And I, and I hate to, you know, pin like that's why it wasn't a big successful year. But, yeah, exactly. you know. Yeah, um, same for me. I hate to just, but yeah, yeah, it just it, it just really does across the board. A lot of people that kill really big deer did not kill really big deer this year. I mean, yeah, it's just so it it leads me to my other question, man. Like, how do you stay positive throughout like a, a hard year like this? You know, I'm sure you've had other years in the past where it's like you just. You know, you just aren't having that target buck that you're looking for, and it just seems like nothing's working out. I mean, what's what's Scott do? I've always been super, super positive person, so I don't, I don't get myself down too bad, and, and I just keep going. I don't get, I don't get worried. I just keep. Um, for example, this year I was after a big ten on my farm. I had two years of history with them, probably mid sixties ten, real heavy six year old buck. I put him out of my food, deflected off some brush, and you know I hit him bad. And I thought I thought he the coyotes got him last year because my neighbor seen a buck limping in his rear leg, and, and the next time he found his carcass, he had shed out. Well, I seen this buck shed him like oh, that was him, and he showed back up November. And I was hunting them hard this year. I had so many close encounters. Um, 
you know, 40 yards, 60 yards, 100 yards, or I'd have them on camera and a blind, you know, across the across the next ridge over, and I'd be sitting in this stand. The next day I'd sit there, and it was like cat and mouse all year. Second, second gun season, opening day, there's an outfit on my, just started on my north border. They rented a, basically a wide open cornfield and put two, three acres of standing corn right on my border and all the deer are coming out of my place. So it kind of, that's a whole different story there. But anyway, they saw him. I was sitting in a stand and he came out of a, came out of a draw and they gunned him down first. And it was like, it just took the, you know, like somebody socked me. I was just so depressed at the moment, you know, that the buck I hunted so hard for for two years, you know, the biggest one I had on my farm was killed. And, you know, but, you know, after two, three days, I just kind of regrouped and there wasn't nothing more to hunt on my farm. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know, I just, um, I went, that was near the end of, it was second shotgun, so my bow hunt was over. So I just kind of went into um, dome mode and started taking does, but, um, no, I never really got down. If I do, it's only for a day or two. I feel really, you know, like that buck. I mean, I don't like Oh, yeah. But yeah. I, you know, I just keep looking at the future. You know, it's time to start planning for next year. There's going to be a new, another bunch of bucks next year, and I start all over. I'm always thinking about the next opportunity, whether, you know, whether it's next year or not. You know, I just regroup. and so yeah, really, That's all you can do. You can't control everything. Get, yeah, some people get right down. I mean, physically, I may get tired. But, you know, I just I love the outdoors so much. I've never had... Yeah, right. never got like really down. You know, I took deer. I'm one of them guys. I mean, I hit deer and I've lost them. You know, I'm not. You know, and I just that gets me down. But you know, I can't you, like falling off a yeah. horse. It's stay down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But um, I've I've been there this year. I I messed up yeah, on a really good one. One of my best bucks. Uh, yeah. You know, I've always yeah, wanted a, like a big, like a big framey, heavy tine buck. And yeah, I think you told me about that. Yeah, 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 it is what it is, man. But like, it happens to all of us. I don't care who you yeah, are. Exactly. It's, you it's got so many guys that, you know, they just get on there and start chirping about, well, shoot more, shoot oh, yeah. more, practice more. Shit, I've shot hundreds of deer and I still do it. So, right. <laughs> it's all situational, man. A target yeah, doesn't exactly. move. A target don't move and a deer does. So yeah, you know, I, I, something just, just a little off topic, but I feel like with an arrow, when you push past 30 yards, that deer can hear that arrow flying before it gets near him. I think oh, like, yeah. they really do. Like that's kind of where that flinch comes from. Even if that deer isn't on alert and he's looking somewhere else, they can hear that thing flying through the air. And I mean, if oh, you've yeah. ever listened to an arrow, listen to one of your buddies shoot, and go out there at 30 yards yeah. and, you know, let them shoot past you or something. That sounds unsafe, long. but. <laughs> I never get along and shoot it. I've always tried to, you know, keep them within 20, 30 yards. I think the longest I've killed deer has been 40. I've killed maybe a couple bucks at 40, a few does, but I don't like it, but I've yeah. always tried to. 
That's how I am too. This was a this was a poke, but it is yeah. what it is. I mean, I felt confident, and it wasn't. I wasn't that far off. So yeah, yeah. You know, you damned if you do, and you damned if you don't. So, yeah, exactly. You, you know what? You miss all the shots you don't take. That's the way I yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah. But oh, that was a beautiful elk you got this year. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you, sir. I know, man. Was that I'm, the first elk you ever got? Or? First, first legitimate elk hunt I've ever been on. Uh, I wow. mean, I went. I went uh, to Kentucky. I drew a, I was very fortunate and drew a tag and it was a joke, man. We'd never even seen an elk in like four oh, days really? of hunting. Yep. yep. Tag the last three, four years. I think that draw is coming up soon, isn't it? That, or, it apply? If I'm not mistaken, usually they, yeah, you can middle apply Feb- for it now. Middle of February. Um, man, if if you do let me know, I'll try to point you in a good direction, but I yeah, think, apply, being a boy. I think, um, the, the guides out there have got it really sewed up. If you ask me, um, they can hunt the public land. They have access to, uh, ride side by sides on the, uh, the mining roads, which we we were walking three miles, you know, just to get access to do any of that kind of stuff. So it was kind of, uh, kind of interesting, um, getting for a public lander, the way that they set up the public land to hunt elk is just ridiculous. Like they give you, a couple 200 to 300 acre parcels and oh, really? you know, if they're not oh, on them and you're not killing. So, so, the, so the guides can hunt more than that you're saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. And they, I mean, if you apply individually, you're set to a certain. You, certain. yeah. So, so what you huh. do when you, when you draw, then you're awarded, you get like to pick uh, five choices of zones and then they pick what zone you hunt. So, yeah. Then, huh. then you're married to that zone, no matter what you. If you're going with a guide or you're, you know, doing public land. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, let me know if you guys do. I'd be happy to try to. Yeah, definitely. We'll I mean, keep applying year after year. Yeah. So. I learned a lot from that, but but yeah, if I used all my luck on my elk, I'm I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. What state did you get that in? In uh, northern Idaho. I, oh, okay. Um, I went up there, actually, kind of near, right near where uh, Troy Pottinger lives. Actually, oh, okay, yep, yep. Yeah, I was uh, built, so it was yeah, he cool. this year. Oh, I know, right? And uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool. My guide knows him. Uh, he knows Troy pretty well. Yeah. So I vetted, I vetted my guide uh, through Troy, and he was like, "Yeah, he's like, I think, I think they'll do, they'll treat you right." And uh, yeah, they they did, they did, oh, man. Good. Yeah, I had an idol. I shot a mount lion out there back. Oh, I don't know, late nineties or something. We went to the salmon, salmon wilderness in order to turn. I think it was South Central, maybe Idaho. I hunted up in the mountains there. Okay, yeah, yeah where I was at. It's kind of like, um, I guess, like uh, Eastern, like East Central, kind of like near the Panhandle there. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, it was beautiful country, man. It honestly was the most intimidating thing I've ever experienced. Like driving into that, and then you're like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hunt here!" Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, from never seeing hills like that, man. I mean, from was a horseback hunt. No, guys- we. I walked the whole time. Walk? Um, oh, yeah. We generally they do like they'd switch it up and they do uh, walk, and then you're on mules the next day, and then walk, and then mules like so. Yeah, but I think us being the guy I was with, we were both younger guys, and our God knew He could push us. So, 
that's that's what we did. We hoofed it, man, and we got lucky yeah. on day three. I that's did. awesome. Yeah, man. So I wanted to uh, – this was one of my other highlight questions I have for you, man. Um, your thoughts, like, on growing as a hunter, kind of like where you think – things are headed for for hunting in the future is do you feel like there's going to be more public land or is it going to get harder for us you know moving forward as as public land hunters um we're just was interested to see what you thought about that being a, a more of a public land guy yourself um my actual situation public land hunting i mean in iowa I used to hunt. When I lived in Michigan, that's kind of how I got my start. I was hitting different states. I've hunted in, I think, seven different states and provinces for deer. Um, but when I moved to Iowa, you know, that's kind of all I needed. So I stay here. Even though me and my boys just talking about going to Nebraska this year, just so I can get him out and experience some of the different states. But, yeah. Um, as far as Iowa, I've seen it's become harder for me. Public land has become harder, and there's a lot of different things that contribute to that. You know, some people blame, you know, podcasts, people talking about public land, hunting public guys are all friends of mine, by the way. But um, I contribute, you know, hunting has become like a rich man's sport to a degree. You know, so much land, you know, Iowa, for instance, is being leased up. You can't go anywhere anymore. It's being leased up. All fingers buying it up, being bought up by people. I mean, that's just the way the times are going. But So, when we as kids, we could go on any land anywhere we wanted. Well, now that is gone. You know, most of that is gone. So, everybody's pushed into public land, which there's nothing wrong with public land. I mean, in Iowa, it's beautiful boxing. But so public land has become more pressured. You know, it ain't because of podcast or, you know, these people. It's, it's because everybody, everybody's losing all their ground, to, you know, leases and outfitters and all that. So in that aspect, it's getting harder. It's more pressured. The deer quality, especially in Iowa, I think has gone down over the years. You, you can still shoot giants here but they're harder to find, and that's, I don't know if that's as much as probably a little bit of pressure, but we've hit, been hit by so many years of EHD. 2012, we got hit. The worst ever in Iowa. 2019, they just started to recover. It only takes five, six years. You wipe out a buckard, get the mature bucks back. It takes five years, you know, to get your mature bucks back. So, yeah, we got hit with 2012, the worst ever for HD. 2019, we get a hit, hit again, just when we're starting to build the mature bucks back. And then we get hit again this year. They said this year was the third worst ever, 2023. So it seems like every time we start to get them mature bucks back, we get hit again by EHD, you know, every four or five years, it seems like now. So a lot of things contribute to that. You know, hunting in public has become harder for me. Um, just, you know, everything's everything combined. Um, now, hopefully, I mean, our, we do have a good DNR here. Hopefully they keep buying up public land. You know, I know every year I, I have a friend of mine work for the DNR. He's involved with, like, 
you know, he knows about the buying and coin, you know, they, they do add, you know, pieces here and there, which is really helpful. There's more lock-in programs in a lot of states. I think that, like, Nebraska, North Dakota, some of them have walk-in programs you can look into, you know, where it's private land and, uh, what is it, the government pays the, the landowners to let right. hunt his ancestral land. That's big in Kansas, too, huge in Kansas. Um, so that's, you know, that's a place, you know, you can, public land hunters can go, but, um, yeah, I mean, over there it is harder. Um, yeah. I don't know if it'll become easier. <laughs> right. Yeah, for moving forward, it's like, yeah. Yeah, but it's still yeah. kind of a challenge, you know. That's what I say. You know, I don't mind seeing that. There's so many like, specific spot where you might need unless, you know, like it's a close friend that comes out. That's part of the, like, in fact, you know, it's some of my spots, you know, but. I'm not a jealous or selfish person. I'll help people out. If some random dude calls me, you know, I'm not going to say, hey, here's my spot. <laughs> right, of course. Little tips and points on different areas or whatever, you know. Um, but some people, I think, are just too too selfish on their, you know, they're just, I don't yeah. know, they don't want anybody to know nothing. But I've always been, you know, some people say, well, are you worried about pressure, you know? And it's just a challenge to me. If there's pressure there, just go to the next spot, you know? I've killed right. so many deer in my life. I'm not going to be that way to somebody, you know? Yeah. I'll help people out as best I can, but. Yeah, man. I agree with you. Good karma goes a long way. I, yeah. I've made, I've made a couple of great friends from hunting public land here, and it's like. Yeah. They're like, oh, hey, are you back in here again? Oh, all right, yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> exactly. let's keep this. Let's keep this one between us, okay? Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's a guy and, that um, I um, um, that kind of friend. I shared something on Facebook. Um, it would have been a year ago this fall, not this last fall, but the one before. I shared something on like an Instagram post about my first buck of the year, and um, I get this Instagram um message he goes did you see that in so-and-so unit he goes that looks like the exact same rub i found and i'm like hesitant on telling him because i knew there was some real big bucks up there but i thought no i'm not gonna ignore the guy i'll just be open with him and i message him and we become friends since then and actually actually he just started filming for Lee and Tiffany Lakoski, he's like, there's two of them, they're main film people, and it's kind of cool, you know, I've got the friendship with this guy, we talked on the phone, and he's a young guy, he moved from New York to Iowa, and um, he was a main, you know, main in the service, really cool guy, and, you know, it's just for me kind of communicating, you know, I took that step, I said, should I be quiet about my spot, I took the step, reached out to him, and, right. you know, That's we awesome. don't really spots, but we've kind of you know, talked about stuff and, you yeah, know, now he's get, get one of your, yes, and yeah. it's kind of cool. He's a good guy. That's awesome, but, man. Yeah. yeah it was really like, funny. I had, <laughs> I had this guy dragging out a freaking giant on camera and I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was like, was this, I was like, did you kill one back in here last year? And he was like, yes. Yeah. He's like, I killed a good, I killed a good one. I was like, pretty sure I got you on camera. I was like, did, you know, and we're yeah. just talking. He's like, Oh man, he's like, yeah. He's like, well, let's keep this one between us. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, I, I didn't hear anything. I don't know anything. Like, <laughs> um, 
But well, yeah, man, it's what's that? Kentucky, you moved to? I'm in uh, like West Central, so I'm about like two hours east of uh, Paducah. Okay, so yeah, because I know like when I was in West. One time, this is years ago, probably 15, 16 years ago, before I moved to Iowa. Me and the kids, it was I don't know on their uh, Christmas break. We took a drive. I wanted to scout Western Kentucky. And I think it was in an, in maybe in a corner by Ohio, Ohio, um, Illinois. They all come together right in there somewhere, don't they? Yeah. Ohio. Um, well, you got, uh, you got Indiana too in between there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was somewhere in the corner there. I remember I scouted. We drove. I didn't get out. We just drove in some of the public land pieces there. Because I always heard Western Kentucky was really good. And I always wanted to go back and haunt it, but I never did. But it yeah. was kind of like low land areas along the river there. Yeah, it looked pretty good. Just yeah, never. man. It, it It's honestly a lot like Iowa, but we don't have, like, the numbers of yeah. Boone and Crockett deer, I would say. Like there's there's great deer here and there's tons of ag and you got the Ohio River nearby like yeah. it's a great area we I literally moved here for for the deer so I mean I, and yeah, it's like kind me of, and I yeah <laughs> I know, well the funniest thing you know talking with you know with Rendell and stuff he's like yeah you totally messed up you should have just moved to Iowa and I'm like you're you're one hundred percent right I totally should. <laughs> Yeah, that's a dream come true for me. I'm going to change yeah. it for the world. All my family's still in Michigan, but I love it here. Just the people. Yeah. Um, just everything about it. I like it's 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 a cool state, man. I really love yeah. it. Uh, I especially after doing this elk hunt recently, because I mean, you know, you guys, the way you're located, you're not that far from Colorado, and like, yeah, you know, you're still a day's drive from some of these trips that you could go do out west, and yeah, exactly. Maybe in the market gets better, or maybe we'll be selling and moving to Iowa. I don't know. We, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we we have made some great friends here too, so it's like you know it'd be tough, but I'm, yeah. I'm all for I'm all for chasing you know happiness, man. It, pulling this move yeah. off and not knowing anybody, it's like it's just kind of proof that you can do it, you know. So yeah, yeah, I have grass is greener. Yeah, I, I I'll never regret anything I did. Um, I. You know, my, my mom said, don't, don't move until I'm gone, you know. She was yeah. to me to stay, but I was like, hours away, and I could call you every day, but I still talk to her three, four times a week, you know. Yeah. So, and now it's, it's been the like same here. two years, I've been all here. <laughs> yep. I get the same treatment, man. I do. Trust me. It's like, you know, the, the mother-in-law is not real uh, fancy of me taking her family, yeah. but, you know. But we have a, so such a better life out here. I would say it's like yeah. a lot more fun. We're with our kids a lot more, and it's like that's what life's about, you know. That, that, that was one of my decisions when I moved from Michigan. We grew up an hour from Detroit, you know. I I thought it was so much better for my kids, you know the the town we live by. You know, they call it the little Detroit. Just so much crime and violence moving in that area. And I thought I would like, you know, my future generations grow up in Iowa. You know, it's just so. So good for them, you know, other than where I grew up in Michigan. You know, we had a good little community. We were outside, but still overall the whole area, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing for me, the pace of life, man. I literally just went to Maryland, and it's like 
everything is so rushed and it's like so many more people and you know for yeah. me being a, a a service guy like being a, a heating and air guy in service i was like i'm never gonna escape this traffic from washington dc and baltimore so wow. i had to do something it was just like it just sucked the life out of me man <laughs> I don't know. I knew there was something in me and I, I was meant for more. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you guys out there listening, like if you're not happy, do something about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's what I say all the time. Yeah. Yep. Don't just don't sit there. Yeah. You, well, you make it. your life. Exactly, dude. And, and I love that. I, I really do. Uh, I hope all you guys listening, you know, do push yourselves and uh, you can do anything you really set your mind to. It just takes time and, set goals and make them happen. But exactly. Scott, I have one final question for you, man. I really, uh, I really enjoy this one too. Cause I feel like I learn a lot, uh, from more from failures than successes. Is there one, is there one thing like that maybe sticks out to you that really helped you cross, you know, into another caliber of a deer hunter as, as maybe like a mistake that really pushed you, uh, to, to be a better hunter i mean when i was when i was young this just kind of a simple you know pretty much everybody but it always stuck out in my mind when i was young i just went out and hunted didn't pay attention to wind or nothing you know that was my biggest turning point in my hunting career when i started paying attention to you know playing the wind but pretty much you know most people know that but, i mean that was huge you know i was in my twenties, and you know, I just started playing the wind. Wow, the buck killed this man, sky oh, yeah. high. But, um, same thing, same thing happened here. Yeah, I mean, that, that was big for me. Um, um, I mean, uh, other turning points. You know, to this day, I'm always learning. I mean, just with the inventive podcast. You know, I listen to. You know, I, I talk to people all the time. When, you know, they get bored by listening to podcasts, and I'm like, I'm always learning. I'm just, you know, the most information I can get. That's that's been huge. I mean, especially for young people. That's you know a huge turning point for you know young people. Turn on a podcast and just listen to these guys. You know, pick up tips. I mean, that'd be huge yeah. for I know, you know man. a lot of I hunters or young hunters or you can learn right. some you know, I listen, I'm the best talker. I'm just, I know how to hunt and get things done, but I've just never been a good solid talker. But I listen to, I mean, there's so many good guys out there, you know, like Info. I love listening to Cisco Heath or Justin Hollandworth, you know, a lot of them guys. I mean, they're just, they're so articulate on how they talk. Oh, um, the guy from Michigan, um, Andy May. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, I really feel like he's like super, super relatable, and he's, he's such a killer man. He, he's yeah. such a nice guy too. Honestly, oh, yeah. give you, give you the time. Of day. Yet, but he follows me on Instagram. We kind of, you know, chat a little bit through that. But yeah, he's incredible dude. And he, he started out, I think, late in life, honey. He, he wasn't raised with it. He said he, and he picked up on it. And he, I mean, he's just a killer, you know. So anybody can do it. You don't have to be like, you know, us raised as a kid. I, said, I don't know when he picked it up. I think it was like teens or 20s when Andy May started hunting. And, I mean, look at He's a killer now. And he knows it knows his shit, you know. Absolutely, uh, man. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's it boils down to. It's like if you love something or, you know, you want to learn yeah. more about it, I feel like you just got to 
give yourself as much information as yeah. you can and try to run with, you know, what applies to you. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, for, for you, it's like now versus back then, I mean, we, what did we have before? Just magazines, you know, that was yeah. our books. Yeah. And there wasn't that many out there, you know? Yeah. Especially magazines were more near stories. They weren't um, like how to do things. I mean, they had a few articles on how to do this or that, but um, yeah. I mean, I there's so much learning now. Yeah. Like back when I was young, we used to, you know, I first started looking at maps. All we had was topo maps. I had to call whoever to get me a topo map. You know, when I started to hunt in Ohio, I used to read topo maps. You know, now you can pick up a phone and you got all this information on Phoenix maps or whatever map app you use. It's yeah. incredible. You can figure everything out. You know, you're your property lines, landowners, you know, all your maps. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of knowledge out there now. It so, is pretty crazy, to especially yes. to, to look back. And I know, all, you know, in the beginning of my hunting time, all I was using was Google Maps to plot out stuff and then figure out what was north yeah. and check what the wind was doing that day. And now it's, you know, I got an app for that. <laughs> yeah, I remember sitting in a camper back. They didn't have, like, weather apps. And I think, no, we had this little little radio lease putting our camper down in Ohio because of the um lease camp down there. We had a piece of property we hunted on and this little radio and they had no weather on I used to just run that constantly. It was just monotone, you know. Like the wind is supposed to be this at a certain time. <laughs> there you go. Constantly. Yep. That's awesome <laughs> man. Front's coming, pressure's rising. Yeah. All right, we're going to hit the woods. See ya. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Exactly. Well, Scott, it, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed this one, dude. Um, yeah. How how can our uh, listeners keep up with you, man? Uh, I'm sure I'm going to tag you in this, but um, you know, if, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, um, my Facebook. Um... That's pretty filled up with friends, so probably more of my hunting stuff's on my Instagram. I think that's uh, Scott Buckley twenty one zero four is how you get a hold of me on Instagram. Um, I do quite a bit of stories on hunting on there, and you know, post a lot of my hunting stuff on there. Is I guess the best way to follow me. So, yes, sir. And, and there's a lot of content sure to... out there. If you search my name in Iowa, there's a lot. Look, I got a couple whitetail cribs with Exodus and some public land stuff here and there. I do. Yeah, so you're, you're a wealth of knowledge, man. I always uh, have enjoyed a lot of your stuff, man. And the, some yeah. of the stories and uh, shed hunts and stuff like that. So, yeah, sometimes I don't know how to talk about it the best on podcasts, but I love doing it. <laughs> nah, it's, it's been great. Uh, just kind of picking style. <laughs> hey man. No, I love it. I love it. It's uh it's been a pleasure, Scott. And uh thank yeah. you again, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. Have a, have a good one, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in this week, y'all. Really appreciate all of you. Hope you know uh that the Harrisburg Outdoor Show, if you're listening on the East Coast, uh is coming up next weekend and I will be attending uh the first weekend. Uh, followed by Monday, Tuesday. Hopefully you come see me. I'll be uh, in between the Lone Wolf booth and the Osseo booth uh, 
wherever uh if you're in the archery hall over there come see us We've got some great deals uh i know for for pretty much everybody painted arrow outdoors will be there as well um really looking forward to catching up with some of you guys i know we have a good bit of uh, of y'all listening in pennsylvania and maryland and uh just know that we appreciate each and every one of you I'm going to close today's segment out with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that I really liked and uh, hope you enjoy it. He says, nothing in this world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life envied a person who led an easy life. Hope that hit you guys. Hope uh, it was a little bit, a little bit deep on that one, but uh, I really liked it. And uh, it's absolute truth. You know, a lot of us, Want a want an easy answer, but uh, you know, as as you if you're listening to this a good bit, you know, there's no easy way out. Uh, you know, you got to go through life. You got to fail till you succeed, and uh, and just keep hammering and keep pressing on. But with that being said, tune in next uh, in, the, in the next uh, episode. We've got got Sean Twit coming up. It's got a great uh, great introduction for you know some predator hunting. And uh, what you should really be doing right now that the season's uh, pretty much winding down and over for a lot of us. And uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. So uh, that being said, have a great one.